Hello, creepers! Welcome back to Unexplained Oregon. Uh, we have a fun episode this week. Christine is taking a little break, and uh, my dad and I thought we would get on here and have a quick fun talk about UFOs, because uh, it's always a fun subject to talk about. We try to insert some fun into our lineup because Christine and I have been talking about some pretty heavy subjects, some missing people, and some true crime in our area. So it's always fun to get on here. And if any of you haven't heard, I think it was around our episode eight, we had uh, Dan on uh, to tell us his firsthand account of a UFO story down at Lost Creek Lake. So if you haven't heard that, you should go back and listen to it. Uh, kind of a fun story. Today we're going to specifically talk about an incident that happened down in Los Angeles called the Great Los Angeles Air Raid. So it should be kind of fun and exciting to talk about. I'm excited. Before I get going, though, I need to let you guys know to visit our Unexplained Or at Instagram. We also have a Gmail account, unexplainedorgan at gmail.com. We have a Facebook. We have a Twitter, although we don't tweet. We, uh, we hope to have that be our goal in 2021, to get better with our social media. But what we do have is you emailing us your stories to Unexplained Oregon is giving us great energy for this podcast. Uh, please keep them coming. We have a, a really good steady stream of listener suggestions and stories coming in that is really giving us energy here and focus. And it just feels really good to maybe bring some attention to stories that you haven't heard. Uh, and then if you like what you're hearing, only if you like what you're hearing, please go on and give us a five-star review. By the way, we're taping this over uh, at my dad's little homestead. So you it, you might hear the heater kicking on or yeah. uh, we've told grandma to not sneeze. And, <laughs> because you really don't want to hear that sneeze. It's not like a dainty hachoo. It's more like a scream. Yeah. Really don't know how you've lived with that for the last six years. Well, it's... I'm beginning to do that myself, so. <laughs> it, it scares the shit out of you when yeah. it happens right behind you and you're not expecting it. So just to warn you, you might hear some extra background noise in this episode. So yeah, uh, at, we were talking the other day and you had mentioned that at some point you had read that Oregon... Uh, has been actually rated number two for UFO sightings, yeah. which is very interesting to mm -hmm. me. I wouldn't, when you said that, I thought that it would have been Utah or yeah. New Mexico or, you know, not Oregon. So yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I can't quite remember which state was number one, but it was on kind of up in the northeast New England area. It might have or it might even have been the Washington, D.C. area. But uh, I was startled, too, because uh, we just don't get a lot of reports over the news. Yeah. Uh, and if they ever do, it's usually uh, made fun of and put down. And, you know, you get, might get like a, a two-minute soundbite. Uh, yeah. And that's about it. 
Really interesting. Uh, and so we're going to talk today about specifically this incident that happened uh, a, a while ago uh, called the Los, the Great Los Angeles Air Raid. And I thought this was interesting because uh, my grandmother, your mother, specifically remembers this happening. Yeah. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about that today a little bit and throw out some facts there. Um, you know what this could be. So what, let's start with Grandma. You remember Grandma saying specifically that she remembers this happening? Yeah, I. I... When this did happen, it happened in, on uh, February 24th, early morning on the 25th, 1941. So I was at that time about 10 months old. So wow. I don't remember it. But um, I can remember much later, uh, maybe in my preteen years or maybe when I was a teenager, I, I, I cannot recall. It, it came up... Uh, on the local news that I saw, and I remember asking my mother, uh, did this ever happen? And she says, oh yeah. So all hell broke loose. There were guns firing all night long, and, and it was just absolutely insane. And uh, we didn't talk about it any, any deeper than that, and uh, there wasn't really anything ever published that you could read about. So. Yeah, it definitely was an incident that occurred and was witnessed by thousands of people. Yeah, so we were briefly going to talk, because I find this interesting, we were kind of talking before we hit record, and uh, uh, our conversation led us to uh, how transparent the government is with information. Uh, basically, what was going on during the time when this occurred in our nation, mm -hmm. uh, and and I thought it was interesting what you were saying, and uh, so go into a okay. little bit about yeah. where we were at as a nation when this happened, because I think that plays into yeah. it. Yeah, you know, obviously today we're very divided and uh, split on many subjects, but at that time, <clears throat> prior to World War II, we were just as disjointed and divided. You know, over issues because America was basically isolationist and did not want to get involved in, the, in another war in Europe. So we didn't want to get involved right. in another we didn't war. We get involved, even though we were in many ways, because we were the main suppliers to England, who was at that time um, fighting the Germans all, all alone because France had surrendered and, and everything, and they were. There was the London Blitz going on, and one thing or another, and it was just a war in North, the war in North Africa, and it was uh, these were really terrible times. So when Pearl Harbor happened in uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, uh, the whole country just went suddenly from being split and divided to being united and and directing our efforts 100% to the war effort because after the Japanese attacked us, the Germans de declared war on, on us because they were allied with the Japanese. So it kind of threw us into a state of war hysterica, hysteria and panic, 
people were really very frightened. Around this area in Los Angeles, we were we started to we were heavily armed, right? Oh, yeah. So talk about that. Yeah. Well, um, after Pearl Harbor, uh, the Los Angeles area, or where uh, we were living, uh, and we lived very close to a lot of the aviation uh, plants and, and defense plants in the area, and um, which were one of the main suppliers of, of uh, military aircraft. Uh, so naturally, the Los Angeles area became more or less kind of a fortress. It was, was ringed with anti-aircraft uh, guns and 50 caliber machine guns, all kinds of stuff. And the, there was a large uh, coastal artillery ba battery in uh, Long Beach, uh, Fort MacArthur. They went on alert and that was sort of beefed up and everything. So um, there was an incident that occurred, that occurred the night before all of this kicked off. So on, on February 23rd, 1941, a Japanese submarine surfaced off of the uh, Goleta uh, Santa Barbara area where there was a big oil, oil refinery and uh, oil fields there. I think they were called the Elwood uh, oil refinery. And um, interestingly enough, the commander of this uh, Japanese submarine had been, uh, prior to the war, a captain of a merchant vessel that sailed into that area, so he was familiar with the, with the, the facilities there and so forth. So when he, he surfaced and he specifically targeted uh, things that were there that he knew that there was like large um, aviation fuel tanks and so forth and so on. And they began shelling uh, these facilities. And this occurred late at night. Uh, the waters, I guess, were reported to be very choppy, and uh, it was dark, and so uh, very many of his um, targets were not hit, but there was, uh, I think, at least one oil derrick was was blown up, and a pump house, hmm. and, and the dock facilities there were uh, damaged, and so forth. Uh, it was reported by residents there that there was about 20 to 25 uh, rounds fired and um, then the Japanese submarine uh, turned towards the south and sailed away. That's scary. So the next day, the whole west coast was on alert hmm. and uh, the military even came out and told the pub public to expect uh, a significant attack uh, within 10 hours. Jeez, so, how so scary. It, yeah, it just people just, I guess, must have been scared to death. Uh, and sent from, from that time to uh, backward to uh, Pearl Harbor, which was, you know, a month, a month and a half prior to this, uh, there was all sorts of alerts. Um, and scares. People mm. were seeing 
lights flashing out to sea and and there and there's flights of uh, aircraft reported and a lot of people thought uh, there was a Japanese uh, carrier flying the waters off of San Francisco and and uh, I think the city of Oakland closed down all the shoe the schools hmm. and uh, put people on alert and uh, there was regular routine blackouts of all the lights and so forth. And people were so uh, adamant about that and worried that if buildings were uh, had their lights on, uh, they would be stormed by mobs and destroyed. Turn so your lights on. It was, yeah, it, turn the lights on. It's kind of like your mother every time you leave I do that with Brian, and he's like, why? It's a, their, their halogen lights now that can last for years yeah. or whatever. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Turn it off. So, so on this alert the next day on the 24th of February, set everybody into kind of a, a mood of uh, expecting something to happen. Kind of a hysteria yeah, in the air, if you will, right? Nervous. And I can only imagine my mother. Yeah. Because that woman would fall apart like a dime watch at times when, when something happened. Well, and she had a little 10-month-old yeah, baby and a, and a toddler, to right? Yeah. So, you're, no, you're, was your sister? Yeah, your sister yeah, my was sister born was already. My four. So, time. what a scary time. Yeah. Being very vulnerable, you don't you know, we had been attacked and you're being told it's going to happen again within 10 hours. I can only imagine. It's yeah. crazy. I, I feel kind of spoiled listening to it because you can't, no, the can't. things that, that people went through, I mean, we, we just can't imagine now. It's, yeah, there is just, and you know, in your generation, and uh, you certainly weren't alive during those times and you had no idea about it. And I don't know what's being taught in schools today about history, probably not very much, but it was uh, that whole World War II thing was uh, such magnitude that I don't think people could really realize it today. And there's not very many. I was, you know, a small child during this, but uh, I remember various things throughout the war years. Uh, and not in any great depth, and I didn't under really understand what was going on at, at that time. Um, so most people that do remember that, or would have remembered it, or could have remembered it, mm -hmm. are gone. I mean, let's yeah. face it. You know, I'm 80 now at this point, and uh, so uh, we're kind of the people my age. The last, the I, last yeah, generation. The last childhood right. generation during that period. You know. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what the night, the night of the great Los Angeles yeah. air raid. What do we know? What happened here? Like what, what happened? Well, I don't know what really sparked it, but um, I think it was someone had reported lights flashing out to see in uh, kind of like the Santa Monica area, which is, you know, right on the beach, mm -hmm. uh, the, the westward uh, portion of Los Angeles. And um, so that kind of set the mood. <laughs> and uh, 
Then there were reports, were reports of aircraft, uh, swarms of aircraft flying, um, none of which was true, but people were seeing things in the sky and, and so forth. So um, I think I read that a burst of machine gun, 50 caliber machine gun fire from one of the emplacements around the city mm -hmm. set off this barrage uh, from all the anti-aircraft guns, and during the um, during the incident itself, there was something like 1,400 rounds fired off. Um, nothing was hit. There, uh, there was a lot of shrapnel and so forth falling from the skies, and even some of the shells landed in streets and so forth and blew holes in, in the streets in some of the suburbs, mm. and uh, there were, I believe I heard that there was like uh, somewhere around four to six civilians uh, on the ground that were killed oh, from, no. from this shrapnel. There were some, uh, three or four that were killed, that uh, died as a result of um, automobile accidents during all this chaos because there was a blackout going and air raid sirens going and the lights, searchlights that rang the city were all flying around them and then they could see the bursts of the artillery shells in the sky so everybody must have been running like squirrels and uh, so that these automobile accidents occurred three or four people died and there was also three more who died uh, uh, from heart attacks. Oh, geez. And so it was, you know, not without fatalities, but uh, not against <clears throat> the enemy. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Did you uh, ever read how long this was happening up there? Yeah. Early morning hours of the 25th, uh, reports of flares in the sky and blinking lights out to sea uh, sort of set this whole thing off. Um, prior to that, on the, on the evening of the 24th, uh, an alert was called at 718, mm -hmm. but then it was later lifted at 1023. So hmm. uh, people were probably going up and down, oh God, it's an alert, no it's not, you know, and you know, that would have caused a lot more confusion. Yeah. So at 225, the, the Sirens were sounded and set off, and then at approximately, I think it was, I can find it. <sighs> I got too much information. You have a lot of information typed out. It's awesome. Well, I think it was like about 328 or something wow. like that. The, the guns started firing, and then they stopped about 415. And uh, there was no more activity, and then the alert was called off at 7:30 in the morning. So for a good couple hours, uh, yeah, they were was, firing at something up there in the yeah, sky. Yeah, it was a sleepless night for everybody, I'm sure. And Grandma remembers yeah. uh, hearing this, oh, and, yeah. and, yeah, and the guns being... were firing all over, and there were there were anti-aircraft guns stationed all around the city, and the 
the coastal artillery batteries were firing from Long Beach, which, which was not too far from where we lived, and we lived in Englewood. And uh, like I said, the defense plans and aircraft plants were, were probably five or six miles away from where we lived. And I'm sure there were guns firing there. Hmm. And, uh, Scary. So it must have been chaos for people. So then, uh, what they what they came out and released about this was interesting. I mean, obviously nothing was shot down. No. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't shoot anything down from the sky. So what they had to come out and kind of tell the people yeah. what it was, or yeah. right? So very quickly, um, the government sort of labeled it. Because you know they wouldn't want the everybody going into a panic of my God they're attacking us here you know right so, um, so they came out with uh, press releases and so forth saying that it was all war hysteria and uh, you know triggered by many reports of various things that had kind of set the mood and the whole state of shock that the, the country was still involved uh, in after Pearl Harbor and getting geared up to being, okay, now we're in the war and we've got we've to do whatever we need to do. And uh, so they, they kind of said there was absolutely nothing <laughs> in the sky. And uh, there was this famous photograph of all these searchlights coming together, pinpointing something in the sky, which uh, looked like right in the center were all these probably a dozen or more searchlights coming together. There was these three uh, bright blobs, uh, which could have been bursts, anti-aircraft bursts mm. or what. But uh, it was published the next day by the Los Angeles Times, and the, the photograph um, was enhanced, which was not an uncommon thing in those days because of uh, photography wasn't at that time what it is today. Mm -hmm. And uh, the a lot of the photographs, well, they were all black and white, and they were kind of grainy. So it was a routine thing for these photographs to be edited and retouched. And subsequent. So subsequently, that was published, and in the center of this thing was a, a bright saucer-shaped object, which, and then at that time, people didn't even know anything about flying saucers or UFOs and so forth. So that was not something that they intentionally did to set up some sort of a panic. It was just a routine deal. But that photograph has been used by many sources evidence of your hmm. attacking Los Angeles and so forth. Interesting. We'll try to post that picture. Uh, make sure you send that picture to me yeah. and we'll get it on so our Facebook page. What they did think had triggered the, the panic was, um, as well as the anti-aircraft uh, emplacements around the city and all the searchlights and everything, they had uh, barrage balloons. Uh, hmm set at various areas. And um, they, they uh, speculated that one of these, the object that had been seen that a lot of people reported 
was really one of these barrage balloons that was was uh, set loose um, during the, the barrage because these things were connected to the ground by cables and cables got severed and this thing started drifting drifting off and uh, and we shot out it for two uh, two yeah, hours and it didn't come down Fourteen hundred uh, rounds were fired at a barrage balloon, and uh, <laughs> it was not even shot down. So. Well, I think they had to say something, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. uh, like you said, we were we were at a time where, uh, you even know, today. yeah, they they yeah. You can't believe everything. Right. Have. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about doing this episode for a while, and there's so many shows out there yeah. and information out there uh, and different avenues you can go with this subject. But I had happened upon uh, a documentary on Hulu the other day called The Hunt of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I know you and Christine have somewhat of a an interest in skinwalker yeah. ranch like yeah, you're both very fascinated I'm, by I'm it waiting for season two <laughs> yeah so um i am hoping to have you back on with christine yeah. next time she's up here and we can maybe do like a skinwalker ranch episode i think that'd yeah. be fun yeah. but in this uh documentary out there on hulu that i stumbled upon again it's called hunt of skinwalker ranch um jeremy corbell presents this in documentary form and uh, at the very first part of it he kind of goes into what we what the government has released today right so they he goes into information on um in 2017 the department of defense uh came out with some information kind of releasing saying uh, you know, these videos that have been out there for a while are, uh, we're investigating them as well. We have a, a, a program in place in the government, right? It's, it's called the UFO Identification Program. Mm -hmm. uh, they had designated at least $20 million towards this program to investigate what was going on or what is going on to try to find out some information. Is this a national threat to us, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of, I think, the approach that they have to take, you know, yeah. what before they release this information to the public. I mean, you would think they would somewhat have to get control and learn and, and figure out what this is. But yeah. I think the issue is we don't know what this is. Right. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if we should know what this is or if we're ever supposed to know what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really interesting. So, yeah, they, the government did come out and say that uh, they have, have this program in place since 2007 uh, they've been researching all this information and they kind of uh, re-release these Navy pilot videos, the specific one that I'm sure you've seen. It's, uh, yes, it's called the Tic Tac UFO. It was, uh, it was happened in 2004 near San Diego and it's a pretty compelling video. It's these Navy pilots um, and you just see in their radar and visual this little Tic Tac right and 
you can hear the dialogue going on between these pilots yeah. and one of them is is like dude it's spinning it's yeah. they're talking about what this thing is doing and they're both kind of amazed and yeah. probably yeah. scared right and yeah. and and just it was making some incredible maneuvers and flying at terrific speeds which you really can't get a full visit, right. visualization of on these radar films, the films of the, what was going on in there, what they were seeing on their instruments and so forth. But uh, it was evidently something that uh, we had absolutely no capability of doing. Right. And, and, as, and as fast as you see it on the video, you see it just jet off. Yeah that quickly and and both of the pilots going what was that you know we have no idea what this is uh there's also another video that i stumbled across um happened in florida in 2015 another another strange craft in the air that's being tracked that they have no idea what it is and it just kind of jets off in the air so it's happening all over the place you know it's happening on the west coast it's happening on the east coast it's, it's happening worldwide yeah which is which is scary i you know or is it scary who knows? There's a lot of stuff going on on Skinwalker Ranch, was which is at, uh, 512 acres in southeast Ballard, Utah. Uh, I know you and I have talked about maybe what we think's going on on Skinwalker Ranch. I have no idea. It's yes. it's creepy. It's creepy stuff. Yeah, there's. It has a long, long history. This this ranch uh, area is adjacent to. I believe it's a. I think it's the Ute Nation Indian Reservation, the Ute Nation. Mm -hmm. Pardon me if I insulted the Native <laughs> Americans out there, who I'm at, who I have a great deal of respect for. But uh, they have legends going way back of uh, strange happenings, and uh, there, there was a, I guess, some tension between the Navajos and the Utes, mm. uh, which triggered a curse to be placed on the Utes by the Navajos, uh, and they, they, in their tradition, that's what has caused all of these things. There's uh, these, what the natives refer to, particularly the, the Navajo, uh, refer to as skinwalkers, and these are supposed to be people that can shape shift into non-human form, mm -hmm. and so there's been a lot of reports of these things being cited, there's cattle mutilations, there's uh, all sorts of bizarre things that, uh, that have occurred and uh, there's a lot, the ranch itself has a long history of just strange things happening. Yeah. And if you watch the series of Skinwalker Ranch, it's very interesting and they will see all the bizarre things that have happened crazy scary shit yeah i think uh, well I, I guess it's good that our government is there and yeah. investigating these things right i mean it yeah the, the current um owner of the ranch uh, i'm not sure that he's involved with it with the government or not but he's got a whole crew of scientists there 
and very serious people mm-hmm. doing very believable and, and straight and experiments trying to solve some of these problems. And uh, you can see things, just odd things happening during these, these experiments that hmm. uh, they, ha- they have no explanation for. I mean, some of them very uh, harmful to the humans themselves there and animals and so forth. Hmm. And the prior owner, uh, I can't remember the current owner's name, but he's a big, wealthy businessman in, in the Utah area and uh, has put together this, this crew funding the whole thing. But the prior uh, owner was a guy named uh, Bob Bigelow, mm-hmm. uh, who, who's the owner of Bigelow Aerospace, has been involved in a lot of government uh, research projects and so forth, and still is. And he had like, I think it was almost a 20-year deal there with the government, and they funded uh, this project that he, he he did there, trying to solve some of these, these problems and weirdness. Wow. Uh, that the government, I think, gave him something like $20 million to to do this. Yeah. And he, of course, is, he himself, I don't think, ever released uh, any information about this. In fact, I don't think if you, when he, he's interviewed, he'll even talk about it. <laughs> hmm. But uh, there is a, a coast-to-coast reporter that you're probably all familiar with if you uh, listen to Coast to Coast. Uh, and George Knox, who's also a, a broadcaster in, in the Las Vegas area, and a very well-known, uh, you know, at least locally, uh, guy. And he has made many trips to the Skinwalker Ranch mm-hmm. and done uh, several documentaries. In fact, this documentary that you mentioned, he's on that mm-hmm. as well, talking about his previous experiences there and they even have some film footage of things yeah. that he did. I think it's worth watching. It's, uh, yeah, the whole thing is really interesting. Really interesting. Maybe when that season two comes out, we'll get Christine up here and yeah. have a, a two-part unexplained <laughs> organ episode on Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so interesting. So, I mean... Yeah, we've talked about this great Los Angeles attack that happened in the 40s, and I was just kind of pulling up some information um, on what's happened in our area. And in 1947, not in Oregon, but in the Pacific Northwest, there was kind of a famous sighting, and and you had recalled reading about this as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pilot Kenneth Arnold reported seeing... Well, in this article, it said nine saucer-like aircrafts between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams in Washington, and they seemed to be traveling 12,000 miles per hour. But you had read that it wasn't saucer-like shape. I thought that was interesting. Saucer is what I read. Maybe that is just a word that was derived, you know, Uh for the time or whatever. But you were reading that it was more of a... Yeah, there is a... That sort of kicked off the whole UFO flying saucer. Thing. Yeah. Um, and this guy, Kenneth Arnold, was a very serious straight, straight citizen. In fact, he, uh, 
he was, at the time that he sighted these objects, he was in the Civil Air Patrol and he was conducting a search for a missing aircraft. So it's not like he was some screwball flying around in his, in his airplane and decided mm -hmm. to dream something up. These craft um, were, as he described them, was sort of a, I don't know exactly how I would describe it, a scimitar shaped uh, curved object that with curves coming to a point in the back mm -hmm. end of the thing, if you can imagine that. And uh, the whole flying saucer thing uh, came about uh, from a newspaper report right. that was generated by this thing where he described these objects were not flying like any conventional aircraft. They were skipping and jumping across the sky, still in a formation, but kind of just taking leaps through the sky, like, a, a, he, he said, like a saucer skipping across the surface of a lake. Hmm. It, it, you know, if you ever tossed a rock sure. or anything across a lake, you can see how it sort of just jumps across. So that that's where the flying saucer Interesting. And then around that time as well, there's a famous uh, sighting in 1950 in McMinnville, Oregon. Uh, these farmers, Evelyn and Paul Trent, spotted a, a disc-shaped something in the sky. For a while, they sat and watched it. Paul went in. Good for Paul. Good thinking Paul yeah. went in and grabbed his camera yeah. and, and shot this this thing and there's an actual famous photo yeah, of, of this saucer like object right which, which looked like more like a, a, kitchen, a kitchen colander that, yeah uh, upside down or some sort of you know, kitchen yeah object than any sort of a flying saucer yeah that photo actually inspired um an annual ufo festival in mcminnville yeah. oregon uh it's the second largest of its kind uh you and my husband have actually been to this yeah. thing and, it, and it's a good time right yeah we went there and uh, it's actually about a three-day three-day event with seminars and one thing or another and it's sort of culminating in a parade through town where everybody dresses up like aliens. Did so, you and Brian dress no, up? No, we didn't oh, stay for dang. the parade. But uh, <laughs> we got there on the second day and uh, specifically attended this group of uh, a seminar presentation by about four or five different people. And with the audience asking questions and, yeah. and so forth, it was very interesting. and. Uh, these things are held in various places at various times, but uh, fine. Well, hopefully, uh, I'd like to go again. it'll be back. Yeah, I don't know if they had it in twenty twenty. No, I, I would think not. It was sort of show. It, it occurs right around my birthday, and May May seventeenth in that in that time frame. So, um, COVID of course yeah. was going full bore at that time, so it was canceled, and I'm not even sure they're going to have one this year. Well, hopefully, if they do, maybe we'll check it out. Yeah. Uh, and then I was also reading of, this happened about nine years after the McMinnville incident. In 1959, there was a gentleman 
Robert Dickerson in Redmond, Oregon, who reported seeing a large bright object descend over the city, stop abruptly, and hover about 200 feet uh, so close to the trees that the treetops were glowing. I thought that was interesting. Um, this specific incident was also seen by an administrator at the Redmond Airport. Uh, so there's an actual FAA report of it out there that I grabbed off online. Uh, kind of hard to read, but uh, in the descriptions of this thing I thought were interesting. They were describing seeing green and red lights. That kind of matches what you saw in your uh, experience down at Lost Creek Lake, right? Yeah. You saw what Christmas light type of reflection thing going yeah. on in these so objects. I, I saw three, three objects, glowing uh, objects. That, uh, they were solid and you could, and metallic, um, round balls, like like yeah. old-fashioned old Christmas tree balls. But they had a, uh, a halo around them, which caused them to glow. Yeah. Uh, and they, I, they were flying in a formation, and I, uh, there was no sound or anything, and they're ab absolutely steady, uh, one after the other, uh, flying. And uh, uh, I remember that they were three different colors. The one I distinctly remember because it. It's the one that I kind of fixated on at the time, and watching these things go by was red. Mm -hmm. The others may have been, I, I think were, one was blue and one was green. Interesting. They were different colors. So that kind of does match what, what has been seen, you yeah. know, since the early 50s, since yeah. the 40s, right? Yeah. Uh, these accounts, which I think it's always interesting and more believable when you have someone that has actually experienced something. That's why I, I thought that the great Los Angeles air raid was interesting because my grandmother actually remembers it happening. I mean, she was part of it, uh, uh, you know, and that's... Yeah, it's funny, it was kind of, after the incident occurred, it was never really, well, of course, I was young and I, I don't really know this, but I had, there was no information released about it. It was kind of like put down and not discussed until 10 or 15 years later. Yeah. So, and to talk about uh, a little bit about witnesses of phenomenon, uh, you always sound like a screwball yeah. to people. I know when we talked, when we released our episode, yeah, you were I, kind of scared. I probably, I probably if you said like a crazy old man <laughs> having delusions. Well, I'm sure someone thinks you are, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Let let it be. <laughs> like Thanks. at this point in life, who cares what people think, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know what it was, but I know I saw it, and I know it happened. Right. And that's it. Yeah. As far as I can say. Right. So, uh, well, this was fun. We're going to wrap it up here, and definitely have you back on for some Skinwalker talk. Uh, and hopefully uh, everybody stays tuned and and you also mentioned you wanted to do some ghost stuff. yes I would love to have, have some ghosty talk about that, perfect which will make, doubly make people think I'm 
crazy, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's they can see where I got it, maybe yeah. a little bit. All right, um, we have some fun stuff coming up, uh, and we also have some more listener stories coming our way um, regarding some missing people that we're going to focus on. So it should be really interesting. I hope you guys stay tuned and listened and uh, help us spread the energy for those missing people in Oregon that maybe you haven't heard about that, uh, you know, we just want to bring awareness or do good out there somehow. Right. So yeah, it's crazy to think about. So thanks dad. I really enjoyed our talk today and I hope you come back and join us.